Good day. Today our Latin 3 class will be covering Unit 30 in the Collins book, beginning on page 263. <clears throat> now Unit 30 contains what amounts to really the last major grammatical structure that you need to learn in your quest for uh, conquering uh, Latin, the Latin language. Um, and that is a, a particular use of the infinitive in indirect discourse. But before we get there, Collins introduces us to the present infinitives on page 263. Now you actually already know the present infinitive active because the present infinitive is the second principal part of every verb. So you know those already if you've memorized any of your verbs. Here you see that Collins gives an example of uh, verbs from each conjugation, laudare, first conjugation, monere, second conjugation with the long e, ducere, third conjugation with the short ere, capere, third io with the short ere, and audire, the fourth conjugation. He also lists some irregular verbs like esse, posse, and so on. Now, since you already know the infinitive, which in English we would translate literally as to something, to praise, to advise, to lead, and so forth. The passive infinitives uh, are formed in three conjugations by simply dropping the ending E in the infinitive and adding an I. In the first, second, and fourth conjugations, that's how you form the passive. And if you take a look there in the middle of the page, you will see laudari, L-A-U-D-A-R-I, to be praised, and moneri, to be warned, and in the fourth conjugation, audiri, to be heard. Now the rule for the third conjugation and third I-O is that you drop the entire E-R-E -E ending of the infinitive and add an I. So ducere, to lead, becomes duci, to be led, and capere becomes capi, to be taken. Okay, so um, you basically have known the at least the active present infinitives from the time uh, you first started getting verbs, and now you know how to form the passive. Now those infinitives will be used in a special way. They can be used as a complementary infinitive. You know that already. We've had that. For instance, possum, I am able, uh, laudare, to praise. That's a complementary infinitive. We will learn a couple other usage usages of the infinitive in this and subsequent lessons. Now, in section 153, Collins talks about negative direct commands or requests. Now, you know how to make a command. You use the imperative in Latin um, to make a command. And you can also use a subjunctive to use a hortatory uh, subjunctive to use sort of a polite command, right? Urging someone you should, may you do this, or let them do this, or let us do this, right? Well, in Latin, in order to form a negative command, <clears throat> Latin takes a word 
uh, nolo, nole, um, and it's the combination of a word non-volo, you know volo, to wish, non-volo, to not wish. It takes this word nolo, right, and it uses the command form of that verb, which you see there at the bottom of the page, noli and nolite, okay? Um, uh, I don't know exactly why Collins doesn't show you that word nolo, but if you take a look um, on page 267, in the vocabulary notes, down near the bottom, turn there for a second, take a look and, and see what he says there. The imperative forms noli and nolite come from a verb which is seldom used in ecclesiastical Latin, nolo, nole, nolui, to be unwilling, which actually comes from ne or non volo, right? Nolo. So at any rate, that's a good classical Latin word uh, we see it often. It's not, as he said, used as often as in ecclesiastical Latin, but noli and nolite come from that verb. They don't just spring full-blown from the head of Zeus as they seem to appear at the bottom of page 262. So going back there, getting back to how to do a negative command, you use noli or nolite, singular or plural, plus the infinitive, and that will make the command. Literally, it means do not be willing to blank something. So on page 264, it, he gives you some examples of negative commands. O puer, noli flere. O child, do not weep. Literally, that means do not be willing to weep, right? Be unwilling to weep. But that's the way Latin forms a, a, a normal negative imperative with noli plus the infinitive. O mulier, noli impleri odio. O woman, do not be filled. Notice that's the passive infinitive. Do not be filled with hatred. Pastores, nolite timere. Shepherds, plural. Nolite, plural. Do not be willing to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Mei discipuli, nolite amalis precipi. My disciples. Be unwilling to be taught by wicked people, amalis, to be taught precipi, right? So that's uh, the chief way that Latin will do a negative imperative. Now, Latin can also uh, do a negative command by using ne or non in the present or perfect subjunctive. Ne is usually the one right? Ne is the usual negative. Non, sometimes you'll see it, but not as often. And it's a kind of polite way, uh, the subjunctive, you know, we can say, may you do this, please do this, uh, might you do this, negative, may you not do this. So you see, ne tangas hook, do not touch this. Please don't touch it. Ne tangas hook. Non ducaris, do not be led. There's non instead of ne. Ne laudetis illum, do not praise that man. Ne tradideris me. Now notice there's the uh, perfect subjunctive, which is less used than the present subjunctive in these. Do not betray me. 
So just as you could use the positive or the affirmative of the subjunctive, particularly in the uh, third persons, singular and plural, or in the first person, a hortatory, let us do this, may he not do that. So you can use in the second person, ne or non plus a subjunctive to give a negative command, right? And in fact, you can use the positive uh, subjunctive without uh, the ne or non to give a polite command, uh, a request also. Now, there is a third way to give a negative command, and that is known and the future indicative. And um, we've seen this before, and this is akin to what we do in English when we say, uh, for instance, you will not do this. You say it to your child, or you will do your homework, right? Um, right? Uh, you can use the future with that uh, imperative tone, can't you? And um, here we see, non his maledices, you shall not speak evil about these people. You shall not speak bad things against his, these people, right? Um, uh, and remember, um, the, the commandments are given in that form, aren't they? Uh, you are, thou art, uh, I am the Lord, thou, thy, thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Right. Um, so you can see that some of those will be given in uh, the future used as a command. Here, known plus the future indicative to do a negative command. So three ways to give negative commands. The most uh, classical and common is noli and nolite plus the infinitive. Uh, you will see subjunctive often with ne. Uh, sometimes with known, and occasionally you'll see the future used in the indicative to give a negative command. Okay, so that noli plus the infinitive is one use of the infinitive, but the most important use of the infinitive in this chapter, and one of the most important uses of the infinitive in any uh, Latin uh, passage or group of sentences or paragraphs, is the use of the infinitive in indirect statements. Now, let's review for a second indirect statements in general. We have a direct statement. You are a good man. Okay, that's a direct statement. Now, when we introduce that statement with a verb of thinking, knowing, or sense perception, we change that into what we call in grammatical terms an indirect statement. So for instance, I can say, I know that you are a good man. I think that he is a good person, right? Um, we believe that you should do this. Any of these are indirect statements. And notice in English, we have this verb of uh, knowing or saying or sense perception. I know that he is a good person. We also... So the main verb, I know, is one of these kinds of verbs, and they will introduce an indirect statement. In English, we most commonly introduce the indirect statement phrase or clause with the word that. I know that he is a good person. Okay, now we've seen in 
so far in ecclesiastical Latin that Latin can mimic that same kind of expression in Latin because we've seen indirect statements from close to the beginning of this book introduced by quia or quod, haven't we? Quia or quod, and normally with the indicative, right? So, and, and the verb is finite, it has its ending. So it, it follows, that form of the indirect statement in Latin follows very closely the way we do it in English. Interestingly enough, that structure of indirect statement or that construction of indirect statement introduced by quia or quote in Latin is a later Latin addition. It's much like we do in English and as other languages, frankly, do. But classical Latin very rarely, if ever, uses that kind of clause introduced by quia or quote. Now, for some reason, Collins has decided to hold off that classical form of indirect statement until chapter or unit 30. Today, here we are learning it. But I should tell you that in any Latin, and in particular any Latin that is uh, of the classical period, you will not see indirect statements uh, introduced by quia or quod, but you will see this form that we are going to learn now. In ecclesiastical and later Latin, you will see both types. The one that we've been using up till now, introducing the clause with quia or quod, equivalent to our English that, and this other form, which is the classical form, the prior form of indirect statement, always used in Latin up until some later time in Latin. So that rule for indirect statement is that with the introductory verb of saying, knowing, or thinking, an indirect statement will follow. And in Latin, it will not be introduced by any word like that in English. So quia or quote is out. But what happens is that the subject, now follow closely, the subject of the indirect statement goes in the accusative and the verb goes in the infinitive. Now, other constructions can follow that. An object can follow that infinitive verb and so on and so forth. But the main structure is a verb of saying, knowing, thinking, or some sort of sense perception, introducing an indirect statement. The subject of the indirect statement goes in the accusative case and the verb goes in the infinitive. You might remember me telling you on earlier lessons that the subject of an infinitive Latin is always in the accusative. That's the technical reason why the subject of the indirect statement is in the accusative case, because it's the subject of the indirect statement. So if I were to say to you in English, I know that he is a good person, that would not be translated with this construction in Latin. He would go into the accusative, the verb to be, essay, would be in the infinitive, and our word person would be a predicate now. Now let's see an example of that to make it clearer, as Collins gives you on page 265. Notice the direct statement, and he talks about simultaneous time in the present. We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus in synagogue predicat. 
Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Okay, there's your direct statement. Jesus is the subject. Predicat is the verb. It's a present tense. He is preaching in the synagogue, in synagogue, in the synagogue. Now make it into an indirect statement. Let's add a word like dequent. They say, they are saying, right? They say that Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Now in the old, our old way of doing it, or an alternate way of doing it, is we could have used quia or quote here, and Jesus would be in the nominative, and then we'd have our regular uh, grammatical expression following it. And uh, it's much like we do it in English. But in the classical form of indirect statement, look what happens here. Dicunt Jesum in synagoga predicare. Notice, they say, there's your main verb, and they say the whole thing, that, not included in Latin, no word for that. Notice, <clears throat> Jesus is put in the accusative. He is the subject of the indirect statement. Jesum, in synagoga predicare. And notice the verb now is in the infinitive. Now, this is an interesting point, and pay attention now. Collins is going to break this up. I'll mention it to you in general now about time relationship, but we'll cover it in subsequent units as we wind down our Latin 3 class. The present infinitive in indirect statement, get this down, the present infinitive in indirect statement always shows same or contemporaneous time to the main verb. He calls it simultaneous time. That's fine. Simultaneous, contemporaneous, same time, all the same. The present infinitive shows simultaneous or uh, contemporaneous or same time as the main verb. Now, later on, as in subsequent chapters, we will learn that Latin has a perfect infinitive and a future infinitive, and those will show different time relationships to the main verb. For now, be content to know that the present infinitive, either active or passive voice, the present infinitive shows same time as the main verb. So to illustrate, we use that same model sentence and take a look at Collins' sentences. Jesus, Jesus in synagogue predicat. Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Make it into an indirect statement. They say that Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Dequent, present tense, they are saying now that Jesus now is, is preaching in the synagogue. Now notice what happens if we change the main verb into a past tense. Dicebant Jesum in synagogue predicare. They were saying, this happened yesterday or last week, they were saying that Jesus was preaching in the synagogue. So what we're saying here is that the present infinitive in indirect discourse, or indirect speech as it's called, right? Indirect discourse, or indirect speech, or indirect statement, any of those titles, the present infinitive has relative time value to the main verb and always shows simultaneous or contemporary time to the main verb. So if we change the main verb, like we did here, dicebant, he was, they were saying, then our time relationship of Jesus' preaching 
is going to show same time as the main verb. They were saying that Jesus was preaching in the synagogue. Okay? Now, logically speaking, what will happen when that main verb turns into a future? Well, take a look at your third example. Dicent Jesum in synagogue predicare. They will say that Jesus, now you can translate it, will preach or is preaching because both times are in the future and we say that that way in English. They will say that Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. Notice, he puts in the little box. Note that in a future construction, English idiom also uses the present tense to express simultaneity. Will say is preaching, right? But we could say, if you want, they will say that Jesus will preach in the synagogue. In other words, it's a future action. So the important thing to note is that the, in indirect discourse, when the present infinitive is used as the verb in the indirect statement, it shows same time or simultaneity or simultaneous time or contemporaneous time to the main verb. Um, notice uh, the other example at the bottom, in synagogue predicat. He preaches in the synagogue, then we make it into an indirect statement. Dequent eum. They say that he, eum, we need an accusative pronoun, right? It has to be expressed. In synagogue predicare, that he is preaching or that he preaches in the synagogue. We want to make it, um, I preach in the synagogue. Look on the next page, 266. Uh, in synagogue predico, predico, I preach in the synagogue. Um, uh, there's no expressed subject, right? I preach. But notice, Jesus said that he was preaching in the synagogue. Jesus dixit se in synagogue predicare. Jesus said that he was preaching in the synagogue. And notice, the say there means that it's Jesus that was preaching because it's a reflexive. Jesus said that he, i.e. Jesus, was preaching in the synagogue. If we change that in that example to Jesus dixit eum, that would mean Jesus said that he, some other he, maybe Peter or Andrew or James, was preaching in the synagogue. But when we use Jesus dixit se in synagogue predicare, Jesus said that he was preaching in the synagogue. That se refers back to the subject. It's a uh, reflexive pronoun, isn't it? And that w that's the way Latin will distinguish it. Um, from uh, the person, uh, if it's the same person who's, who's doing the saying and the preaching, or if it's a different person doing the saying and the preaching. I hope that's clear. Let me, let me repeat that because I, I, I don't think I expressed that very clearly. Um, if you want to take a look again on page, uh, at the bottom of page 265, look at that example. De quunt eum in synagogue predicare. They say that he preaches in the synagogue. They say that he, Aum, is preaching in the synagogue. Now look at that other one on page 266, which begins with Jesus. Forget the in synagogue, pray deco. I don't know exactly why he puts that in there. It just simply means I preach in the synagogue. Jesus dixit. Jesus said, say, 
that he, meaning Jesus, was preaching in the synagogue. If we change that say to eum, Jesus dixit eum in synagoga predicare, that would mean that Jesus said that he, meaning not he himself, not Jesus, but another he, Peter or Paul or whatever, was praying in the synagogue. Okay, so let's, uh, Collins presents that rather perfunctorily, but let's, let's review. We talked about the direct statement, right? He is preaching in the synagogue. Jesus said that he's preaching in the synagogue, makes it an indirect statement. We've had indirect statements from very long time ago, and we've dealt with those in Latin. We've seen them in Latin being introduced by quia or quod, and then the sentence continues as you would expect. That is a later development of indirect statement in Latin. The classical usage of indirect statement, or the classical construction of indirect statement is the one we're learning here. It will also be present very, very often in ecclesiastical Latin. And that is that the verb of knowing, saying, thinking, or sense perception will again introduce an indirect statement. I think, I know, I feel, I sense, I see that. We will normally say, I know that. But then the indirect statement clause in Latin, the subject will go in the accusative, the verb will go in the infinitive. And if we use the present infinitive, it shows simultaneous, contemporaneous, or same time as the main verb. In other words, that time of the infinitive is relative in relationship to the main verb. So as we see in our examples on page 265, present tense, dicut Jesum in synagoga predicare, they say that Jesus is preaching. We change that to an imperfect tense or a past tense. They were saying that Jesus was preaching. We change it to a future. They will say that Jesus will preach or preaches, is preaching in the synagogue. Okay, there you have it. This is an extremely important point of grammar because this is the normal way that Latin expresses <clears throat> an indirect statement. And uh, we've been used to seeing the quia or the quod, but you must now get used to seeing <clears throat> this, this uh, construction, the subject of the indirect statement in the accusative, the verb in the infinitive. Um, there will be uh, lots, of, uh, lots of good practice for you in the coming sentences. And Collins actually breaks this up, this indirect statement up into three separate units. Next time we'll learn one of the other tenses of the infinitive. And the time after that we'll learn the third tense of the infinitive. And we'll see how that all works. So you'll have plenty of practice on these indirect statements, but they are very, very important. Remember the differences in English. They are normally introduced by the word that. In our other forms in, in ecclesiastical Latin, we, we mimic that by using quia or quod. But here, in the classical form of indirect statement, no subordinating conjunction like that, only the subject in the accusative the verb in the infinitive, and when we translate, we need to supply the that. I know that you are a good person. Okay? That's indirect state. So basically, that is unit 30. 
We have the introduction of the forms of the present active and passive infinitive. We have uh, a note about negative commands using noli and nolite and the subjunctive with ne or non. And then we have this important construction, the classical indirect statement uh, or indirect discourse as it's sometimes called. And um, today we will only learn the use of the present infinitive in subsequent units we will learn about the other tenses of the infinitive. So for now, be content with the present infinitive, and um, we will uh, get lots of practice in our coming sentences. So for your homework, I'd like for you to do the drills on page 268 and 269. <clears throat> in number one, we have drills on negative direct commands using uh, the near known in the subjunctive and noli and nolite. And then in uh, number Roman numeral number two, we have indirect statements with the subject accusative and the present infinitive. Um, so uh, we will uh, go over those, and I think you will start to appreciate uh, how indirect discourse uh, is used in Latin in the classical formation. Now, for our exercises, please take out your pens or pencils and be ready to mark them. I'm going to read the numbers of the sentences I'd like you to do for homework. Here we go. Number one, number four, number five, number seven, number nine, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20. 24, 25, 28, 32, 36, 37, 38, 40, 43, 49, and 50. And for our readings, let's do number two, the expulsion of the devils and Gerasa, or Gerasa. Um, very interesting story there from the Gospel of Mark. So, one more time, I will repeat those numbers uh, for the sentences under exercises. Number one, four, five, seven, nine, 10, 12, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, 24, 25, 28, 32, 36, 37, 38, 40, 43, 49, and 50. As always, uh, you obviously can do all of them or any other numbers of them for more practice. Uh, let's also remember do our number two reading, the expulsion of the devils, okay? And um, in these particular sentences, uh, you will see lots of examples, I think, of previous grammar and particularly um, the new construction of indirect discourse and the negative uh, commands. So that completes our unit 30. There's not a lot of grammar in this particular unit, but a very important part of grammar, the indirect statement uh, in the in really its classical form um, being uh, presented to you here for the first time. Extremely important and something that you will see quite often in Latin. So that completes our lesson. I will be getting back to you, of course, as always, 
uh, midweek with a review of that homework, another audio tape, reviewing the homework assignment that we've just assigned. And in the meantime, remember, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to uh, drop me an email and uh, ask away. I'm glad, very happy to answer any of your questions uh, that you may have on this particular unit or anything else uh, in Latin. So I'm wishing you uh, a, a great day, a great week, and we'll be back with you again uh, very shortly. Take care and goodbye.